Okay, so we are in. We are back in First Peter today. We've uh, taken a few weeks off here and there. Looked at Psalm two a few weeks ago, and the last week we was in the Book of Revelation for a week. But we're back in Psalm, or we're back in Peter. We're back in Peter chapter two. We're going to be looking at verses four and five here in a few moments. Um, just by way of introduction, uh, you can see the title of the sermon today is "The Privilege of Priesthood." So we're going to be talking a lot about that. I just, I just want you to, 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 to think about that word. And know we're not talking about white privilege or anything like that. But I want you to, <clears throat> I want you to. That's really going to be how I'm going to be trying to speak to you guys and myself as well to your heart today to remind you of how privileged you are to be a child of God, to be a, a priest of God. That we're going to look at. We are so privileged. And so I looked up that word privilege in the Webster's Dictionary of 1828. The verb meaning to grant someone particular right or exemption to and then to exempt from censure or danger. And then the perfect participle meaning enjoying a peculiar right or immunity. Um, So with, with those definitions, and I'll come back to them, Think about that word privilege. That, that we are privileged, but we've got to understand what it means in context. So there are, when we think of being privileged, there are people who, are, who do have great privileges, maybe with uh, great wealth, just because of the family they're born in, right? Um, and so in that case, when you, when you look at the definition of, of, of being privileged, it also has a. Uh, it says to exempt from danger or, or or an immunity. So somebody that is privileged to be born in great wealth or uh, in a sense immune to poverty, if you can think of it that way. Some are privileged with certain physical characteristics, just born that way, right? And maybe because of that, they're immune to being made fun of, whereas somebody else might be made fun of. They're not born. They don't have that privilege. So those, those are just some practical ways we can think of, of what that word privilege means by looking at some examples. But I want, I want to help us to really understand and again appreciate the privileges that we do have of any kind, especially when we're talking about our salvation, but really of any kind, guys, that we have food to eat, that we have anything good in our life. And I think to, to start out with... we. In order to really appreciate how we're privileged, we've got to remind ourselves once again of what we deserve. We deserve nothing good from God. That's not just a, a cliche, a saying. We don't deserve anything good from God. We don't deserve our next breath. God doesn't have to give us tasty food to eat, friends, family, any of these things. What we deserve... You guys are well aware of that, but we deserve the wrath of God. That's what we deserve. We deserve nothing else. And I just want to start there. Uh, uh, just you guys reminding you guys of how privileged you are if you know Jesus Christ today. We are so privileged. You know, you think about that word privilege. To grant someone a particular right or exemption to. You know, and it made me think about John chapter 1. When it says, those who believe in His name, He has given the right to become children of God. And that makes us exempt to the wrath of God. You see how it all... We're privileged. We 
you're immune to the wrath of God if you're in Christ today. And that should get you excited. That should get you excited for life, no matter what we're going to face in this life. Is that because of Christ, we will not face the wrath of God. We are privileged people, guys, that we have the Gospel, that you were born into a family or a culture where you have got to hear the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so that's, that's what we're going to be talking about today, really for the next hour, is, is just this idea of being privileged. Uh, before, we, before we look at chapter 2, I thought we'd do a little bit of review. I, I'm not going to go back entirely in chapter 1, but back to about verse 22. Because it has been a few weeks since we looked at a few of these verses. In verse 22, if you guys will remember, he says, Since you have an obedience to the truth, purify your souls. And remember we talked about that being when we heard the Gospel. When we believed the Gospel, we obeyed the truth of the Gospel, our souls were purified. And then, of course, that continues throughout sanctification. And then he talked about because of that, the result of that is we, uh, He gave us a love for each other, a love for the brethren. And then He commanded us at the same time to love one another. Obviously, all that being a result of verse 23, being born again. If you guys remember that. We were born again. The source of our new birth was the Word of God. And that's why we, we center on the Word of God in this church. We try to preach the Word and teach the Word. Um... Uh, and take the Word of God outside the doors because that's how it says we're born again through the Word of God. And we talked about that, how the Word of God is imperishable. And even up above that, how our, 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 we were redeemed with the blood of Christ. Those things that are imperishable. And our life is very perishable. We're like the grass. And the Word of the Lord endures forever. And then a couple weeks ago, He, he continued. We looked at verses 1-3. through three. Because of our new birth, we begin to put aside these things in our life that we do on a daily basis. Right? Because if you look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we always focus on verse 2. But we don't think about verse 1, that we've got to deal with our sin on a daily basis. If you're not dealing with your sin, you will not long for God's Word. That's what He's telling us. So we deal with our sin. We put these things... It's a putting off and putting on what we're commanded to do in our Christian life, and then we long for the pure milk of the Word. Did you guys see that picture of Sybil on Group Me? I went and seen her Thursday, and I'm telling you, she's fatter since then. Trish saw her a week ago, and she said she is God. <laughs> but she is... She is I, I told them, because they weren't here for that message, and I said, you guys are... She is putting you to shame on your, on your longing for the Word of God. <laughs> Because obviously those little infants, they long for the milk. And, and that's the very practical illustration it gives us. We're to long for the Word of God like an infant longs for the milk. And so I'm, I'm hoping that, that Dylan and Rachel are, are seeing, that, seeing that in practice and, uh, and are being encouraged by that. In the same way, that's how we're to long for the Word of God. And by it, we grow. So that you may grow in respect to salvation. And then the way that the way that scripture was arranged, it, it, all of that was a result of since you have tasted that the Lord is good. What Jeff read to us earlier, we long for the pure milk of the Word. Well, first of all, we deal with our sin. Then we long for the pure milk of the Word because we have tasted that the Lord is good. Can I hear an amen? amen. You guys tasted that the Lord is good. 
And so that's where we left off a few weeks ago. That we have tasted. We have tasted that the Lord is good. And then he... Uh, obviously there wasn't verses back then, but there are now. So then coming to verse 4. If you guys want to stand, it's just two verses. I was going to try to cover verses uh, 4 through 10. I think you guys will be glad I didn't. So, and you never know until you start getting into the text that uh, what it's really going to look like. So verse 4, he goes on to say this, "...and coming to Him as, a living, as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood." to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You guys can be seated. Let me pray for us and we'll go, we'll go through the text. <clears throat> Father, we, we come to You and we bow before You, Lord, in humility. And Lord, I would just ask, Father, that You would, um, that Your Holy Spirit would, would do a work in our hearts today, God, that, that You would help us apply this Scripture to our lives, God, that we would, first of all, uh, be reminded of how privileged we are, Lord, and then how we can put that into practice in a, in a practical way in our lives. So, Father, we love You and praise You. Pray that Christ will be glorified. Amen. Alright, so the privilege of priesthood. I've got the sermon broken up in two points with three subpoints under each heading. And so, first of all, we're going to look at verse 4. The privilege of coming to Him. The privilege of coming to Him. So verse 4, it says, And coming to Him as to a living stone. We'll stop there. And coming to Him as to a living stone. So the first thing I want us to see, to be reminded of, guys, is that it is a privilege that we come to Him. That we are coming to Him. It is a privilege in and of itself to come to Christ. When we think about salvation, this is where we go back to really what we looked at in our catechism. Just to see the privilege of our salvation, of coming to Him. John 6.44, Jesus says this, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. You see how our very salvation, our, the very, like our catechism said, the ability to come to Him is, is given to us by God Himself. The very ability. And it's not just a matter that we're unable, but we're unwilling. That's really what that verse is saying. We're not only unable, but we're unwilling. People, people, heaven would be empty if God did not draw us. John 6.65, he goes on to say, No one can come to Me unless it has been granted Him by the Father. What a privilege it is to know Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ today, guys, okay, you could think, hey man, if I could just have you know, all the riches in the world, if I could just have this and this, if I could just be situated where I could retire. Guys, none, nothing compares, right? What does it say? You gain the whole world, lose your soul. What, what's it going to profit a person? But the fact that we know Jesus Christ, that you have been drawn to Christ, is a great privilege. 1 Corinthians 4, seven. What do you have that you did not receive? Okay, that, that includes families, your, your, your children. Right? Your spouse, your health, a good job, the ability to earn wealth, skills, talents, a home, anything you can think of, and obviously your salvation. 
What do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. We don't have anything that we did not receive. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Just being reminded what a privilege it is to be able to come to Christ. Right? Why do we boast? Why do we boast about things in our lives, guys, when it's all given to us by God? That should, that should cause us to reflect. Um, do we boast about things in our life? Not just our salvation, but anything. Of course, we know that we've been saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. Why? So that no one should boast. If you're going to boast, boast in the fact that you know, know God. Uh, right? What is the mighty man boast in his might? Jeremiah says, and the rich man boast in his riches. He says, let not the wise man and the rich man do these things, but let him who boasts, boast in the Lord that he knows me. That's what we need to boast in. The fact that we know Christ. That it's been given to us. Now obviously these, these, these Scriptures that we're looking at, it's talking about coming to Him for salvation. And that is a part of this, but in reality, in verse 4, it's really coming to Him presently and continually as a believer in Jesus Christ. Yes, it does entail our salvation, but it's also coming to Him Draw near to God through worship and prayer. I mean, obviously, it is, a, it is a gift of God's grace that we come to Him. Right? Jesus said, whoever... What did He say in John 6? Whoever comes to Me, I will by no wise cast out. So, 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 so take that to heart. Okay? That if you have come to Christ, it's by God's grace, and, and Christ will never cast you out. But it is more than this in this verse. We, we do come to Him for salvation, but this is the idea of drawing near to God in our life as believers through worship and through prayer. Okay, That's really the context of what we're looking at here. This coming to Him. So the privilege of coming to Him. Guys, in the Old Testament, it was a great privilege really to come into the presence of God that was reserved only for the priests. Okay, That's what we're going to be talking a lot about who were allowed into the holy place, and the high priest who was allowed into the holy of holies, and that only once a year, to atone for first his sin, offer sacrifices for his sin, and then for the sins of the people on the day of atonement. What a great privilege. You see the, you see the privilege we have as believers? We can draw near to God any time through the blood of Jesus Christ. Do we realize how privileged we are? Do you realize what a privilege it is to know Jesus Christ. you sitting here today. So rather than the holy place in the tabernacle or in the temple, we can come directly into the presence of God. Hebrews 4, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, we'll look at real briefly. We're going to come back to this later, verse 16, I believe. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, this, this is that coming to Him, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Beloved, do you realize you can come to the throne of God 
with confidence. You don't have to come sheepishly wondering if God's going to accept you. In Christ, you can come. You ever have those days? Maybe you feel like, well, I didn't perform well today, so I'm kind of scared to go before the throne of God. He's not going to... That's not how it works. Guys, we come to Him. He is our advocate. He is our interceding for us. And we come through the blood of Christ with confidence to find that mercy and grace in that time of need. When you need Him, when you have sinned against Him, come to Him. He is there. So the privilege of coming to Him is the first thing we see in verse 4. Next we see who it is that we come to. And really the three sub-points under, under the privilege of coming to Him. First of all, we see in verse 4 and the beginning of verse 5, we come to Him who is living and who has made us alive. Okay, You see in verse 4, it says, coming to Him as to a living stone. And then we're also going to look at verse part of verse 5 right here because it's connected. And it says, you also as living stones. So, we, secondly, we're going to see that we come to Him who is living and who has also made us alive. So obviously, this is much better and superior to the Old Testament temple which was made of stones, right? Stones don't have life in them. They're dead. That, that's going to be the picture here in this text. We come to the One. We don't come to a to a, 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 a temple. We don't come to one made of dead stones. We come to the One, capital O. The One who is living, right? The One who is living, the One who has life in Himself. This is all in reference to, to verse 4 when it says we come to Him as to a living stone. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has life in Himself. I mean, what did He say? I am the way and the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. We come to the One who lives forever. That is this One who we are coming to in verse 4. We come to the One who has defeated and conquered our enemy, our biggest enemy, which is death. That's who you are coming to. The One who has given us physical life, has He not? He is our Creator. He is the One in Psalm 139 who has created us in our mother's womb. He formed us. We are knitted together. That is this one who we come to. The one who has life in himself. In John chapter 10, he is the one who gives us abundant life as his people. And then obviously, we come to the one, this one is where we receive eternal life as a free gift. Romans 6.23, I believe it is. Revelation 1, 17 and 18, the Lord Jesus Christ, when John saw Him, it says, When I saw Him, I fell at His feet like a dead man. And He placed His right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. He is the living one, beloved he has conquered death in our place for us. Okay, So that if we're in Christ, in essence, we have been buried with Him and raised. Okay, We have victory over death. That is who we come to. Coming to Him as to a living stone. And then in verse 5, at the beginning of verse 5, it says, you also as living stones. 
You also as living stones. We are the living stones of God's new temple. You realize that? You realize that the temple in the Old Testament is a picture of the church of Jesus Christ, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. We are these living stones in God's new temple. So we're not merely dead stones in a physical temple, but we are living stones. We're no longer, as Ephesians 2 says, dead in our trespasses and sins. Amen? But we have been made alive together with Christ. As we read in the Catechism, we have had our dead hearts of stone ripped out by our sovereign and all-powerful God. And He has given us a new heart. We are living stones. We're not like dead bricks in a building. We are living stones. And we're going to see in a moment that He is building His this spiritual house. But secondly, we see under this privilege of coming to Him, who it is that we're coming to, um, we come to Him who has been rejected by men. In verse 4. Coming to Him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men. That phrase, rejected by men, it really has the meaning of, of having been rejected or, or having been examined or tested and then rejected. When you think about the Jewish leaders at the time of Christ, that's the idea. That they, they examined and they tested Him which led to their rejecting Him. But beginning with the Jews in general, in John 1.11 it says, He came to His own, meaning the, the nation of Israel, and, and those who were His own did not receive Him. So He was rejected by and large as a whole by the nation of Israel. But this idea of the Jewish leaders, obviously the, the Jews were looking for the Messiah, but these Jewish leaders, they examined Him closely. They tested Him. Obviously, Jesus tells us in different places that they were blind, right? They were blind. And they had false standards in their, in their minds of who the Messiah would be. So they missed it. He, didn't, he did not measure up. And obviously they were fueled by their hate and jealousy of Him. Here's a few ways they, they, uh, they missed it. Or, or here's a few ways they examined Him. And, and, and which led to their ultimate rejection of Him. They examined Him as He often denounced their religious system. Can you imagine how that must have made them feel? We are the people of God. And, he, and, and we're not going to go back and read, but you think about the scathing language that Christ used. Calling them children of the devil. Blind guides. Pronounced woe to them in Matthew 23 before He pronounced woe and destruction to the, to the very temple that they literally worshipped. So, so they examined Him as he, as he denounced their system. They concluded that He was too weak and meek and mild to overthrow their enemies. Right? What were they expecting? A deliverer to come to deliver them from uh, the bondage of Rome and their enemies? And they're saying, this guy's meek and mild. How's he, how's he the promised one? And then obviously the cross of Jesus Christ. He died on a cross. Let Him save Himself. I mean, after all, what did their law say in Deuteronomy? Cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. 
This man is pathetic. And he thinks he's the Messiah? Well, you know what? There's nothing wrong with what their law said, is there? Cursed is every man who dies on a tree. But they were blind. They didn't understand what that meant. We say praise God that Jesus Christ was cursed when He hung upon the cross. In Galatians 3, Paul, going back to the Old Testament, he tells us, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, right? So that's the whole human race. We can't keep the law perfectly. And we're cursed. But praise be to God that that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So yes, He was cursed. But they missed it. They missed it. And so they rejected Him. The Jewish leaders rejected Him. The nation of Israel in general as a whole rejected Him. But He's just been rejected by men in general, has He not? In our world? And I know we see that. We see that in our day. But Isaiah 53.3 says He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, He was despised and we did not esteem Him. This is who we've come to, beloved. The one whom men reject. And you guys probably don't need to be told that. You've seen it in your life. Probably you rejected Him for a number of years in your life. But that's the reality of who it is we come to. The one that men reject. And let me say this, you will be rejected when you live for Jesus Christ. You will be rejected. But first of all, two reminders. Remember, sometimes we we worry about too much about being rejected by others. Not just for our faith, but just being rejected. You ever, you ever, you ever struggle with rejection? You feel like people reject you? I think, I think we all maybe have struggled with that at times, some more than others. I think we spend, and I'm speaking to myself as well, we spend too much time worrying about who is rejecting us and not enough time reflecting on the verse that I shared just a few minutes ago when Jesus said, whoever comes to Me, I will never cast out. So guys, you're, it doesn't matter if everybody in your life rejects you, there's one who will never reject you when you come to Him. By faith. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He will never, never turn away a sinner who comes to Him by faith. What a privilege! And also, just to know this, you will be rejected by the world when you stand for righteousness, when you stand for Christ. But please remember this, as Hebrews 13.6 tells us, the writer of Hebrews quoting from the Old Testament, he says, The Lord is my helper. Whom will I fear? What can man do to me? Okay? Take heart in that. And I'm speaking to myself too, guys. So take heart in that when you're struggling, going, well, you know, I just don't want to be rejected by that person. Beloved, what can man do to you? The Lord is your helper. The Lord is your helper. Don't, don't fear. Don't fear men. Right? Don't fear those who can even kill your body. Okay? But are unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear Him. As believers, we should continue to fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. It keeps things in perspective. Okay? But we've got to remember this. We can't, we can't have some type of delusion in thinking that, well, if we just live for Christ, the world will love us. No, they won't. Where did the church come up with that? I don't know. You know, we just, Paul, you just 
have that twinkle in your eye, and the world's going to love you. And then they're going to want it, and then they're going to love Jesus. That's not the way it works. It, it says throughout Scripture, it says He hated me, they're going to hate you. So we, we come to Him. We come to this living stone who is rejected by men, but in our, in our third sub-point, chosen, He is chosen and precious to God. He, the world may reject Him, right? They may reject you too, but this, this one, He is chosen and precious to God. Isaiah 42 verse 1 says, Behold my servant, capital S, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. This is God the Son, the Messiah, the chosen one, the one whom we read about in Psalm 2, right? God's anointed. 1 Peter 1.20 If you guys remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that it says He was foreknown. Christ was foreknown. And you remember what the context was? It's not just that obviously... I mean, obviously God knows. God the Father knows who the Son is. Obviously the context was He was foreknown or He was appointed to be our Redeemer. That's the language. He was chosen by God. He was foreknown. He was appointed as the Son to die for God's people. To be our Redeemer. To purchase our redemption. To be our ransom. It says He was chosen and He was also precious. This one we come to rejected by men, but is Choice and precious in the sight of God. Precious in the sight of God. That word meaning costly, highly prized, and rare. There's only one Lord Jesus Christ. There's none like Him. The God-man. And He was precious in the sight of the Father. In other words, He was highly valued and esteemed above all kings. Right? Right? He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why David in Psalm 2, remember he warned the kings of the earth to kiss the Son, lest to be angry and they perish in the way. So he's highly esteemed. He's highly valued above all kings, above all angels. What does Hebrews 1 tell us? Christ is much better than angels, right? He is the Creator of angels. They worship Him. And He's even more esteemed above the heavens themselves. Because what are the heavens? Part of the creation. As Romans 1 tells us, right? We are to worship the Creator and not the creation. And obviously, He being highly esteemed above all others, this was demonstrated through His resurrection and His ascension to the right hand of God where He was given a name above all names that Philippians 2 tells us about, right? At the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is precious. And I think the Father couldn't have said it better than in Matthew 3. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then also in the Transfiguration, and I think... um, 
I forget what chapter it's in, where he says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Man, listen to him. So he is precious. Rejected my men, but precious to God, beloved. This is who you have come to. This is who we are drawing near to. This one who is sovereign, who is in control, who is in control of your life. He has your life in his hands. We are to come to him. We are to draw near to him. You are to come to him for salvation if you have not. And then secondly, we're going to see in verse 5, the privilege of, of the church. Um, the privilege of the church, or maybe the privilege of being in the church. Okay? The privilege of being in the church or a part of the church. So first we see in verse 5, we already looked at the, verse, the first few words, you also as living stones, it says, are being built up as a spiritual house. You're being built up as a spiritual house. Again, in the Old Testament, the Jerusalem temple was God's house, in essence. David, if you remember, he desired to build a house for the Lord. But since he had been a man of such much bloodshed, God told David that his son would be the one who actually built his house, Solomon. And you can read about that in 1 Kings 6 and following. So under the Old Covenant, the temple represented God's presence, which was both temporal and material. Okay? But we are being built up as a spiritual house. That's the connection here. Being built. That's very important, that phrase, because it means that God is the one who is doing the building, right? God's the one who is doing the building. He is building His house. It's not a physical house made of bricks or stones. What is it that He is building? I am, I am asking for an answer here. What is it that God is building right now? His church? Amen. He is building His church, right? What did Jesus say? Matthew 16. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. It says you are being built up. Us. The ones who... The ones who, I mean, if you want to go back up into the book of Peter, the ones who tasted and seen that the Lord is good, the one who we long for the pure milk of the Word, the one who we are coming to Him as a living stone. We have eternal life. We've been made alive together with Christ. Really, really the language of verse 4 and 5, it goes like this. And coming to Him, dot, 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 we are being built up. Or in coming to Him as to a living stone, dot, 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 we are being built up. So we are coming to Him. And he is, he is building up us as a spiritual house. We are being built up as a spiritual house. His church is this house He's building. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, I write, this is Paul writing to Timothy, I write that so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God which is the church of the living God. The church of the living God is this spiritual house that it's referring to here in verse 5. 
Made up of individual believers, right? Living stones. 2 Corinthians 6.16 Paul says, We are the temple of God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and among them, I will be their God, and they shall be My people. So in one sense, we are the temple of God. We Believers made up as a spiritual house. In another sense, Christ is the temple. Turn to John chapter 2 real quick. I don't want to get... It, it was so tempting. It really from here throughout the rest of the sermon, not, not to get like sidetracked over in the weeds. And I don't think I am here because I think it all relates. I think this is a good point to make. I mean, we're, we're veering a little bit, but not, but not really. In John chapter 2, verses 18 through 21, this is when Jesus cleansed the temple, okay? You guys remember, He cleansed the temple. And I'm going to read verse 18 through 21. The Jews then said to Him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things, what He had just done? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But He was speaking of the temple of His body. Okay, stop there. Alright, so, so in one sense, in our text in Peter, it's clearly telling us that we are the spiritual house. That the church is the spiritual house that God is building right now. Okay? We are the temple in other passages. And here, Christ is declaring that He is the temple. Okay, what I, might, what I am attempting to say here is that both the church of Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of what the Old Testament temple was pointing towards in the New Testament. I'm going to read a quote from Ligonier Ministries. It was an article I read on this. And usually you'll be able to see who wrote it. I couldn't find out who the author was, whether it was Sproul or somebody else. It doesn't really matter. But it's from Ligonier Ministries on this passage in John 2. It says, Many Christians are eagerly expecting the day in which the physical temple in Jerusalem will be rebuilt. Today's passage, and this is John 2 that they're referring to, however, tells us the only temple we should be looking forward to is the temple that is Christ's body, which we will see in the new heavens and the new earth. The temple, this, and this is the point I want to make here. The temple pointed to Christ and is fulfilled in Christ and His church. And I believe that's what the Bible teaches. That the temple pointed to Christ and it is fulfilled in Christ and His church. So let us love Christ and His people. Now again, I don't want to get too far over here in the weeds, but I think it does apply with the spiritual house. So you may be in here today and you're expecting a rebuilt temple. I don't know. If you do, that's fine. Okay? Not going to argue about it or divide over it. But I think the Scriptures teach what, what, what they were just saying in this paragraph. That both, that both Christ and the church is the picture what the temple was pointing towards. And so I've heard people say you know, that they're expecting a temple to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. Um, probably those who would hold a dispensational view of eschatology. And, and so, but they, they, would say, they would say, well, they're not, 
they're not going to offer sacrifices that are like efficacious for salvation or for, you know, for atonement for sin, but just as a memorial to remember those things. And guys, why would first of all, why would we need a something that was a memorial when God gave us something that we did last week that we do once a month? That's the memorial of remembering what Christ did. Again, I don't want to get too far over there, but I will say that as a really as a Reformed Baptist, I'm just speaking consistently to what we believe, really in more of a covenant theology. I don't, I'm not expecting a rebuilt temple. Okay? That's all I'm going to say about that, but I think it did apply because I think that's what this is talking about. We are that, that spiritual house. All of that was pointing towards something better. There's no need to go back to the physical, to the, to the, to the sacrificial system. It's all when Christ died and the veil was torn, that stuff was ended. But let's move on. Again, the church is a spiritual house with Christ as the foundation. We'll talk more about that probably next week. 1 Corinthians 3.11 No man can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation and we are the stones, the living stones. Christ is building His church. Building His house. Spiritual house. This house is being built up. This is... Listen how beautiful this is. Just think about this. That this spiritual house is being built up as Christ continues to build His church. So literally with every convert, there's another brick. There's another brick in this perfect, beautiful house. Not made of stone. Fancy stone and gold and all these things. But living souls. Much more Beautiful. When Christ saves a sinner, there's another living stone. I think it's also being built up in the sense when believers are built up in their faith. His spiritual house is being built up. The beauty of His house is no longer outward, in other words. Right? It's no longer outward. You know, made out of gold and costly stones. But of His people. The sheep, the elect, as they are made holy and they grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of His house that He's building. Probably on the next page in your Bible, maybe on the same page, in 1 Peter 3, 4, 3, verse 3 and 4, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing the gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but listen to this. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. That's the house that He's building. Beloved, we are, we are those living stones. And then secondly, our second sub-point under the privilege of, the, of being a part of the church. First, we saw by being, being built up as a spiritual house. Secondly, for a holy priesthood. In verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Just to remind you, to be chosen by God to be a priest was a great privilege as we're going to see. 
Okay, so let's talk about this priesthood, being a priest of God for a few moments. Priests were chosen from the tribe of Levi. Okay? But only from the sons of Aaron. Okay? Or the descendants of Aaron. In other words, all priests were Levites, but not every Levite was a priest. And so again, I want to say it because we're going we're to look at some Old Testament background of, of priests. But the, the point is, is to remind us of what a privilege it is to be a priest of God. Kingdom of priests, what we just read about. Man, I want you to be able to... When we see those words, either in, you know, when you're reading the Scriptures or singing a song, that it'll have a deeper meaning. It's like, what a privilege I'm a priest of God. So there were we're gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna read any passage. I'll just quickly summarize. There were severe judgments for anyone who attempted to perform the duties of priesthood without fully meeting the requirements and qualifications. We'll look at three examples. You guys have heard of Korah's rebellion. That's in uh, number sixteen. The whole chapter, number sixteen, the part where they where the earth opened up and swallowed Korah and, and, and some others. Okay? You know what was behind that? Korah, being a Levite, he could, you, being a Levite, you could serve in the tabernacle, but that wasn't enough for him. Okay? You can read through that passage and you can see where he desired to do the functions of a priest. He wanted more. He and others with him, they had selfish and rebellious ambitions for the priesthood which was reserved for the sons of Aaron. He was a son of Levi, but he was not a descendant of Aaron. And what happened as a result? They were swallowed up by the ground. I think it's the last verse in that chapter. Number 1640 says this, As a reminder that the earth had swallowed him up for their rebellion, their pride, they tried to usurp Moses and Aaron, and it says, as a reminder to the sons of Israel that no layman who is not of the descendants of Aaron should come near to burn incense before the Lord so that he will not become like Korah and his company. All because he desired priesthood and he was not called, he was not chosen, he was not qualified, and the earth swallowed him up. It is a privilege to be a priest of God, beloved. Okay? You guys are priests of God. First Corinthians, or I'm sorry, First Samuel 13 is where King Saul, if you guys remember, he usurped the priest Samuel, he, he usurped his priestly function by offering up burnt offerings. And if you guys want to jot these down, uh, the first one was number 16. Just go back and read the whole chapter. Don't take long, you can see it. Uh, this one is 1 Samuel 13, verses 8 through 14. And what happened when King Saul did this? The kingdom was taken from him and given to David. Severe consequence. And then the third one we'll look at, 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16 to 21. Really the same exact same thing happened as, 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 as what happened to Saul. In the same way, King Uzziah usurped the role of Azariah the chief priest by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. What happened to him? First of all, it says before that that he was very prideful, lifted up, haughty, and he did this. And what was the result? God struck him with leprosy 
which he had until his death. Three examples of, of Old Testament men, two of them kings, one of them a Levite, but not a descendant of Aaron, trying to usurp what God had established and do the functions of that which was reserved only for a priest, and it led to death, illness, loss of kingship. And so, why, again, why do I share these? Just so you can know more? Well, I mean, it's good to have these, this understanding, this background, but so that you can remember, guys, what a privilege it is that you and I sitting here today have been graced out by God and been called priests of God. It is a privilege to be called a priest of God. This is referred to, really what we're looking at, guys, as the priesthood of believers. Have you guys heard that? The priesthood of believers. That's what this... If you look at priesthood of believers, it's going to take you to 1 Peter chapter 2. We are priests. We're going to talk about that more next week too. Priests of God. Um, so yeah, all who come to Christ... A five-year-old child who comes to Christ is a priest. Is a priest of God. Listen to these similarities, guys. A little more background. The similarities of how God chose and dealt with the priest in the Old Testament and how he, how he does with us, His church. Exodus 28, you can read God where he, he chose the priests. And He chose them, again, from the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi was one of the least represented tribes because it was cursed for the sinful violence of Simeon and Levi, which I think you can read in Genesis 34, where they slaughtered Hamar and Shechem. If you guys remember that, they, um, I believe they raped their, her, their sister. Anyway, so, so the tribe of Levi was considered one of the least for that. In Genesis 49, Jacob cursed that tribe. Well, isn't it, isn't it amazing that that's the tribe that God chose the priesthood through in the same way. What does it say in 1 Corinthians 1? God chose those whom He chose, the least, the weakest, the foolish. You see the similarities that God chose. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna, I didn't have that written down, but it's such beautiful language. Uh, verse 26 in 1 Corinthians 1. For consider your calling, brethren, that not many were wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. The base things of the world, the despised God has chosen. Isn't that beautiful language? That's usually the way God does it. Just common folks who the world would consider the least. That's who God chooses many times. A second similarity in Leviticus 8. God cleansed them before their duties. You can go back and read that. That's pictured in, a, in, in ceremonial cleansings and washings. Symbolizing cleansing from sin. Right? And are, not we, are, not we, are we not washed? By Christ? Remember what Jesus told the disciples in John 13? If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And obviously we know we're washed by the washing of regeneration by the Holy Spirit in Titus 3. So we are washed. 
Before we're ever asked to do anything for the Lord, we're washed. We're washed. We're made back up in um, in chapter one and Peter purified, right? We were purified. We're washed before we're ever given any duties of any kind. Thirdly, he clothed the priests in Exodus twenty-eight with particular garments. Are we not clothed with particular garments? The righteousness of Christ, His robes of righteousness. And then lastly in Leviticus 8, God through Moses anointed the Levitical priests for service. And beloved, everybody who comes to Christ, the Bible teaches in 1 John that we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Do not let the the health and wealth gospel hijack that word, the anointing. We have the anointing in in the Holy Spirit. We've been given power and authority from Him at conversion. And so in the Old Testament, only the high priest could actually go into the Holy of Holies. And that being once a year on the Day of Atonement. I just want to read a few passages out of Hebrews 9. And then lastly, at our last point, we're going to clap. We're going to bring this and apply it to our lives, okay? So Hebrews 9. We're going, to, we're going to look at a few passages in Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10. This whole idea, guys, that remember the Old Testament, there was one high priest, he could go into the Holy of Holies just on the Day of Atonement once a year. And, but it, we'll, we'll see what this text says in Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9, first of all, 1-7. through seven. Now even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread, and this is called the holy place. Behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle which is called the holy of holies, having a golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which budded and the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat But of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now these things have have been so prepared. Now when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship, but into the second, the Holy of Holies, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. And now down in verses 11 and 12. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through His own blood, He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained Eternal redemption. And then over in chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. But I hope you can just hear the language, guys, that all that was pointing to Christ, our great high priest, who entered the Holy of Holies, right? And when he died upon the cross, do you remember what happened to the veil? It was torn, symbolizing that the old is done away with. That's what all this was a picture of. 
In Hebrews 10, 19-22, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil, that is His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, and this takes us back to the first point, guys, coming to Him. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. <clears throat> Obviously, if we were going through the book of Hebrews, that's a lot there to unpack. But I want you to hear that language that because of what Christ has done, we can draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. You drawing near to God is not based on your performance of that particular day. Okay? It is based upon what Christ has done. Do you see what a privilege it is, guys, that we have when you look at some of these Old Testament examples of the priesthood and the privilege we have to come into the presence of our King? You have a privilege anytime, anywhere, if you're in Christ. Hebrews 4.16, I read that earlier, but I just wanted to read it one more time. Really the same language of the verse we just read. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence. Beloved, if you're being told that you cannot draw near to God as a believer and God won't accept you, you are listening to lies. You are listening to condemnation which does not come from God. Draw near. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our, in, to help us in our time of need. That is when He's there for you when you need Him, right? We need Him always. Even when you think you don't need Him, you need Him. So then thirdly, we see to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, so what do priests do? The priest would offer up sacrifices before God for his sins and the sins of the people. But we do not offer up sacrifices to remove sin and guilt. That's not what we're doing. Why do we not do that? Because Christ paid for our sins. Right? Hebrews 9.28 Christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many. So we don't come to God offering sacrifices for the forgiveness of our sins or for others. Christ already did that. Paid it in full. The death of Christ ended the Old Testament priesthood Replacing, again, the endless animal sacrifices for the once-for-all sacrifice. Once for all. And so these are spiritual sacrifices that we offer, guys. That's what the text says. Now, it's not spiritual meaning, meaning immaterial, some kind of secret Gnostic way, you know, where they say, uh, you know, anything of the flesh is evil. And we only believe in the Spirit. That's not what this is talking about. Because we are material, right? We are flesh and blood. 
But it's rather sacrifices that are influenced and dominated by the Holy Spirit. When the Bible talks about walking in the Spirit, being in the Spirit, being full of the Spirit. So what are some examples, guys, really to bring it all to bring it all home? We're, we're very privileged to be in Christ. We're very privileged to be called a priest of God. Kingdom of priests. When you see what God did to people in the Old Testament who stepped out of bounds in this area, and that we are called priests because of what our great high priest has done for us. What are some examples in Scripture? It's not an exhaustive list, but these spiritual sacrifices that we can see. The first one we'll see uh, is giving of gifts in Philippians 4.18. Paul writing to the Philippians, he says this, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You hear that? An acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Let me ask you this. And all of these, as I ask you guys, like I always tell you, I include myself, okay? So it's not me pointing the finger at you. It may be me pointing my finger at your heart, okay? Trying to stir your heart through the Word of God, but I'm doing it to myself as well. How is your giving? That's what we see here. This is a spiritual sacrifice. How is your giving? Is it cheerful? God's told us how we should give. Give cheerful. Are you withholding from God? We do these things as a spiritual sacrifice. We give to the, to the work of the Lord. We see this is one of the ways that we offer up a sacrifice to God. And it says it's well-pleasing. I mean, Paul says basically, hey, I'm supplied. I can do what I need to do because of your faithfulness. You see that? That's one of the ways we can offer up sacrifices. Secondly, we can see in Hebrews 13.15, praise and gratitude. Praise and gratitude. The writer of Hebrews says, Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. You see that? Spiritual sacrifice of praise and gratitude. Which would really reflect maybe our prayer life. Okay? How is your... How is your praise and gratitude doing? Do you find yourself praising God? Praising God? Or do you find yourself maybe just complaining to God? Do you find yourself being, being thankful with a heart full of gratitude? Or again, moaning and groaning and complaining and being discontented with where God has you. These, these are all ways we can do an inventory on our heart and, and ask ourselves, are we really offering up these spiritual sacrifices? The very next verse in Hebrews 13, 16. Sharing. This is very, it's similar to the first one, but not exact. He says, do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. 
How are you doing in that area? How are you doing sharing with what, with what God has given you with others? It could be material. It could be maybe your knowledge of God's Word. Uh, it could be anything. Sharing your life. Sharing your resources. Doing good. I mean, I've been going long enough. We don't need to start talking about all that, what that can mean. Doing good. How are we doing in those areas? And then lastly, our bodies. Romans 12.1. Very familiar passage. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I don't think we need to overcomplicate that. What do we use our bodies for? As Paul says in Romans 6, do we use our bodies as instruments of righteousness or as instruments of unrighteousness? How, how are we using our bodies to serve the Lord? How are you doing in these areas, guys? That's, that's something you can take home. You can meditate, give these things to the Lord. These are ways that we as the priests of God offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. And so lastly, guys, aren't you glad I just did these two verses? Lastly, obviously all of our spiritual sacrifices can only be acceptable through Jesus Christ. In the text. We've been called uh, for holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And just to be reminded what Isaiah 64, 6 says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. Right? Outside of Christ, the righteous deeds of the wicked are nothing but filthy rags of the garment. And even as believers, if we're not doing these things from a, a pure, motivated heart to glorify God, it's really in vain. Okay? So, check your heart. Check your heart in these practical areas. And remember this, guys, in closing, I've asked it many times, I'm going to ask it again, have you, have you considered, and hopefully maybe more so in the last hour, how privileged you guys are, and I am, to be a child of God, to be a, considered a priest of God, how privileged we are. And so that's the motivation, guys. That should greatly affect you and motivate how you approach God in prayer. When you come to God in prayer with confidence, knowing that you don't have to come timidly, wondering if He's going to accept you, that you are His child, you are His priest, that He has chosen. We should come to Him with confidence. It should affect the way we come to God in prayer. It should affect in the way in, in our giving. When we reflect what a privilege it is that we can give back to God as a sacrifice. You're not, you're not even given to, you're not given to people, you're not given to necessarily a church, you're giving to the Lord. Remember that when you guys give. If you've never been told that, you're giving to God. He's given us everything we have. And it's just a little bit of appreciation we can, we can show Him. And 
it should affect, again, our praise and our gratitude. We should be, above every people on the planet, we should be thankful and grateful because we understand the value of life. We've been given eternal life. Our life is a gift. Trish and I were talking about this last night over dinner. We just, we just heard of another guy that we knew that worked up at the uh, catfish fry that they have out by our house at the American Legion. We've known him for 15 plus years and just a dear brother in Christ and just that he had passed away. And we just was talking about the different people we know just in the last year have passed away. And guys, it's just it's like that. And so just remember, guys, what a privilege it is to be alive. What a privilege it is to have eternal life. And so what a, what a privilege it is to be, to be chosen and to be part of the holy priesthood of God. Amen? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank You for Your grace. And Lord, we, just re- we read these Scriptures, God, and we just realize how undeserving we are. And Lord, when we really just zoom in on Your Word, Lord, we realize how gracious You really are. God, we, we don't deserve to serve You. But Lord, You've called us to that. You've called us to out of darkness to Your Son to be a holy priest. And as we'll see next time, a royal priest. And to offer up sacrifices to You. Not, not, not to pay for our sin or anybody else's, Lord, but to, to love You. To worship You. To, to love others. To love Your people. To love the lost by telling them the truth so that we can see Your spiritual house be built. And so Father, that's what we pray, Lord. We just pray that You continue to build Your house your spiritual house, made up of living stones, being made alive by the, by the living stone, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You for our great salvation, Lord. Thank You for reminding us once again, Lord. Thank You for Peter, under the inspiration of Your Holy Spirit, to remind these dear persecuted believers, Lord, how privileged they really are and how privileged we are, Lord. Father, be with us in uh, equipping our Lord as we continue to to study Your Word. Father, we thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen.